Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and the guy who's going to have to pull this off, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert with mad skills, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Chosen, the 22nd episode of season seven and the final episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Chosen aired on May 20th, 2003 and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full spectrum Buffy podcast. So if you haven't seen all of the show, this would be a weird episode for you to be listening to, but (laughs) go take care of that and we'll go again, baby. You're going to learn a little respect here. Are you ready to be strong? Let's go on patrol. In Chosen, Buffy basks in Angel being there for a bit, and then he pulls out the file that Wolferman Hart has been keeping on the situation. But before they can get too far into that, Caleb of the Black Blood knocks Angel out with a statue and then asks Buffy that age-old question beloved of misogynists everywhere. Are you ready to finish this? Buffy and Caleb fight and she uses a scythe to slice him in half and then she and Angel giggle about that while Spike seethes in the shadows, listening to contrived conflict Barbie, I mean Buffy slash the first, for a bit before slinking away into the darkness. Angel holds up a shiny medallion and tells Buffy that it's meant for someone ensouled but stronger than human, a champion. He presumes the scroll that told him this means for him to wear it in the final fight. But Buffy says she needs him running a second front to fight this thing in L.A. if she loses. He says fine, but he smells Spike on her and apparently feels it's his business to give Buffy a hard time about it. Buffy says that Spike's different. He has a soul now. What? That's great. Everyone's got a soul now. Buffy and Angel talk through his stupid jealousy and she says she's not with Spike, but he's in her heart. Angel pouts, and Buffy says she's not ready to be with anyone right now. I'm cookie dough. It's a whole thing. We'll talk about it in a minute. Angel accepts this, hands over the medallion, and buggers off back to L.A. With that little bit of shameless fan service done with, Buffy returns home to be kicked in the shin by a pissed-off Dawn. But there's no time for a sisterly squabble, because she has to report that the scythe did its job with the preacher. All right, he had that coming. Hey, party in my eye socket and everyone's invited. Down in the basement, Spike is taking his anger out on the punching bag. But luckily, we're not spending too long in the false conflict zone, as he tells her everything he saw, and they talk it through. He asks for the medallion. It's supposed to be worn by someone with a soul, but more than human. She says it's meant for a champion, and Spike pulls his hand back. But then, she gives it to him. I called a lot of things in my time. Buffy asks to stay with Spike in the basement since Faith still has her bed, and he tells her no, but then says it was all a bluff. They sleep on his little cot, and in the night, Buffy wakes and stares out the window. The first shows up as Caleb, and then as Buffy herself, to tell Buffy that she will die the same way she has lived, alone. Spike wakes up, and the first blinks out. Spike sees Buffy standing there, alone, and asks if she's okay. I just realized something. Something that really never occurred to me before. We're gonna win. Next, we move into Joyce's bedroom in the daytime, with the OG Scoobies gathered as Buffy reveals her plan. Not to us, but to them. Everyone thinks it's a great idea, except Willow, who has to pull Buffy's plan off with her magic, which makes her a bit nervous. Everyone goes off to do their jobs, and Buffy hands the scythe over to Willow. Next, Buffy makes a speech to the Potentials, telling them they have a choice to make. 
but not letting us in on it yet. In the basement at the school, Faith and Robin talk about their relationship while barricading vents so the Uber vamps can't get to the sewers. She says that once she slept with a guy, that's pretty much it. He asks her for the opportunity to surprise her if they live through this thing. Fine. Deal. Good enough. No way prettier than me. A little bit, yeah. That night, Willow nervously studies while Kennedy soothes her, saying she'll be with her the whole time. Willow says that Kennedy might have to kill her if she goes all dark Willow, and Kennedy objects. She says she's always gotten her way, so Willow's making it through this, because now Willow is her way. The next day, everyone goes to the high school. Welcome to Sunnydale High. There's no running in the halls, no yelling, no gum chewing. Apart from that, there's only one rule. If they move, kill them. Buffy gives everyone their orders. Slayers and potentials down in the belly of the beast, Kennedy and Willow to the principal's office, and ordinary humans at the doors to clean up any uber vamps that get past the front. Everyone goes to their corners aside from Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Giles, who spend a quick moment together. The Earth is definitely doomed. Everyone splits off and Buffy goes down to the basement. Slayers and potentials all slice their hands and bleed over the seal to open it up. They all descend into the hellmouth. Up in the principal's office, Willow begins her spell. Down in the Hellmouth, the potentials look down on thousands of uber vamps armed with spears. Buffy says she's not worried as long as Willow works her spell before the vamps see them. And of course, that's when the vamps see them. And then we flash back onto the choice Buffy asked the potentials to make. Are you ready to be strong? Willow does the spell. All the potentials in the world are activated as slayers and the fight begins. In the principal's office, Willow glows white for a moment, then turns back to regular Willow. She hands Kennedy the scythe to give to Buffy, then collapses to the ground. That was nifty. Kennedy delivers the scythe to Buffy and joins in the fight. It's a tough fight, but the Slayers are winning. Upstairs, the second front fights the vamps that got through. In the Hellmouth, Spike's medallion begins to glow, and he screams. Buffy shouts commands, but a vamp stabs her from behind and she collapses. Faith runs to her and she gives Faith the scythe and tells her to hold the line. Upstairs, Robin takes a sword in the stomach. Anya is killed. In the Hellmouth, Buffy looks up to see the dead face of another slayer as the first takes Buffy's form and taunts her. But Buffy rises and gets back in the fight, using her new determination to fight back the vamps even harder. She takes the scythe back and slices through the horde, but they keep coming. Then Spike's medallion glows and the ground starts to shake. Light shoots out of him, immediately dusting all the surrounding uber vamps. My soul, it's really there. Kind of stings. Faith calls for the Slayers to retreat, and everyone runs to the bus. Down in the Hellmouth, Buffy wants Spike to come with her, but he says he needs to do the cleanup. She takes his hand. I love you. Buffy leaves as the school starts to explode. Faith makes it onto the bus, and it peels off, leaving Buffy behind. She runs through the school and then along the rooftops of buildings, chasing the bus. Down in the Hellmouth, the light from the medallion consumes Spike. In the bus, everyone tends to each other's wounds. Buffy jumps from rooftop to bus top as Sunnydale crumbles into the ground. The implosion stops, and the bus pulls over. Everyone jumps out, and Buffy tells them Spike saved them. They all walk to the edge of the crater. Xander asks Andrew what happened to Anya, and Andrew tells him. She was incredible. 
In the bus, Faith goes to check on Robin. He's not doing good, and for a moment, he seems to stop breathing and stares off into the distance, dead-eyed. She reaches out to close his eyes, just as he takes a breath. Surprise. Outside, everyone stands looking into the crater that was Sunnydale and talks about what to do next. Yeah, you're not the one and only chosen anymore. Just gotta live like a person. How's that feel? Yeah, Buffy. What are we gonna do now? Buffy just smiles. Wow. Noel, here we are. The end of the series. Yeah. Um, yep. And I guess I just have to ask you, what did you think about Chosen? I mean, whoo, endings are hard. Endings mm-hmm. are so hard. Um, And this is a pretty damn good ending. It really is. I mean, this episode... I think it's the reason why I love season seven so much. I love the arc of one girl in all the world to all these potentials taking their power. Um, And this ending arcs, not just the season, but the entire story. And I love it from beginning to end. It arcs the whole thing. (laughs) A season finale is one thing. A series finale is another thing. And this is a series that's been doing big arcs all the way through. So now we got to we got to make them all land in one spot. Exactly. And I mean, that's part of the thing that makes Buffy so extraordinary is that this isn't something that was done really before Buffy. There are a couple of shows that kind of tried, like the X-Files kind of tried, um, but this it never happened. And it's one of the things that makes Buffy so rare as a TV show it arcs not just every season, which also wasn't really done that much prior to the show, um, and then arcs the entire show. And, um, you know, we've had some some shows, like I said, that have tried that. Uh, but Buffy is the one that did it successfully. Buffy was the one that basically laid out the template that so many other shows follow now. Um, and the thing is, like, this is absolutely a story geek thing. Um, <laughs> this, to me, is huge history-making television for this reason. Um, and I don't know that a lot of other people um, who who don't, like, who care about story, but who don't, like, study it at this level um, would necessarily notice, but it's a big freaking deal. Um and this show is is kind of cemented the writer as the showrunner creator, um, you know, taking the baton from Moonlighting, which handed it off to the X-Files. Um, and I think that those three shows, you know, um, in tandem kind of started that trend where writers became the thing for television, not producers. Before that, it was like produced by Norman Lear. You know, mm-hmm. that was the kind of thing that we were looking at. Um Aaron Spelling, you know, these big producers. Uh, but now when we talk about a show, we talk about a Shonda Rhimes show. We talk about a Vince Gilligan show. You know, we talk about a Joss Whedon show because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, the television industry finally was able to give people long form stories because up until the VCR, people weren't able to, you know, record a show. The best you could do to rewatch was watch some episodes during the summer and get a couple on rerun. But when VCRs came into the mix, people were able to record shows. They were able to follow, you know, week to week 
Um, they were able to follow all of these really complex storylines, which we hadn't seen happen in nighttime television, with the exception of like the nighttime soap operas, which were kind of a different thing. Mm-hmm. The serial storytelling that comes in like a soap opera um, is a bit different um, from it doesn't reset at the end of the episode the way that so many other shows had done during this period before we could record these shows. Um but they they go with a cliffhanger every week so that you come back and watch, but then they just kind of run through all of the cheap writing devices to get you to come <laughs> back. But what they give you when the, when you come back is just an answer to the story, and it tends to be... I mean, I'm not saying that, that soap opera storytelling does not have um, like some fascinating, skillful things done, but it's just kind of a different sort of thing. Um, but until we had the writer, showrunner, creator, writers were basically typewriter monkeys who shot out a script to a show that reset at the end. Um, and then now we've moved from that through Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which really did make such a big impact. Um, and then we're into things like Lost and Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad all of these shows were made under the age of the creator, showrunner, writer, um, and they exist because of Buffy. I will draw a direct line from Buffy to all of these things. Um, so a show at this time, starting an arc in season one and landing it in season seven is freaking huge it's that crater that spike blew in the highway it changed <laughs> mm-hmm. everything um and i would say that buffy is probably uh, not only the first to do this but probably the best to do this uh, maybe getting some competition from uh from breaking bad um but i don't think anybody has landed um a series arc quite the way that buffy has and it was when i first watched chosen that i realized what they had done and it was amazing um and i have been studying this show to learn things from it in writing for almost 20 years um it's kind of crazy that's so fucking cool like that just that alone is so fucking cool that that you know on an on an autobiographical note that that's kind of mm-hmm. where you got you know through with this and through all of this And what's fascinating to me about this long form storytelling is that it seems almost prophetic. And that is how many people consume television Mm -hmm. now as this like, you know, yes, it's a series of episodes, but ultimately what you're consuming as a viewer is an hours long story, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the I'm just going to sit here and watch nine episodes of a television series on, you know, what my streaming service of choice. Like That's how that's mm-hmm. how people consume a lot of visual media now. So, it, I mean, fascinating bit of film and television history from a viewer experience perspective as well, mm-hmm. that we're, you know, Buffy as a series teaches us a different way to consume television storytelling to interact Mm -hmm. with visual media and that's really cool also yeah it's uh, the impact of it is just so incredibly huge and um and it's one of the things it's the reason why i keep coming back to this show i've learned more from writing from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've learned more about writing from Buffy the Vampire Slayer than I have anything else. You know, um, it really has been, I've, I've learned, you know, at the knee of all of these writers. And um, and I 
find it fascinating. You know, are there stumbles along the way? Well, we have documented that. Yes, yes, there are. But, <laughs> um, but overall, like what they did, what they pulled off was phenomenal. Um, and just from a, you know, kind of like a bird's eye view perspective, when you're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that is the context with which we talk about this show, um, that it really did change television and change storytelling. I mean, the storytelling lessons that I've learned from Buffy the Vampire Slayer are lessons that can be applied across the board. And I would say without Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I would have no narrative theory. I would have, there would be no how story works, you know? Um, and so for me, I feel like I owe so much of the work that I do to this show. And I just want to express like that amazement and that appreciation at the beginning of this our last episode about an episode we're going to do a still pretty finale next week. We'll talk to you guys about that at the end. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about now that we get specifically into this episode is this uh, this whole cookie dough thing. Um, let's go ahead and give this clip a listen. I'm cookie dough. I'm not done baking. I'm not finished becoming Whoever the hell it is, I'm going to turn out to be. I make it through this and the next thing and the next thing. And maybe one day I turn around and realize I'm ready. I'm cookies. And then, you know, if I want someone to eat or enjoy warm, delicious cookie me, then... That's fine. That'll be then. When I'm done. So a lot of people who really like this refer to themselves as cookie dough shippers. Um, but And they see Buffy's cookie dough analogy as really meaningful. And I'm not going to say that it's not. It just doesn't work really for me. The analogy presumes that you can't be in a relationship until you're done baking. Uh, but the thing is, none of us is ever done baking. And all relationships... I am very sorry to to say this, are, are temporary anyway. I mean, they all end, you know, eventually. And a successful relationship is not the one that lasts forever, but the one that leaves both people involved better off than they were before. You know, my first marriage ended, but I think both he and I are better off. Uh, we're such good friends that it sometimes freaks out our kids. He and I would spend time together with or without them. And that is a successful relationship, you know. So for anyone out there who's young enough to believe that eventually you stop baking, let me tell you, you never ever stop baking. Go into a relationship with the intent that you will leave this person better off than you found them and that they will do the same for you. I mean, agreed. And this analogy does not work for me at all. Mm -hmm. Because the cookie dough, okay, the cookie dough thing. Sure. I mean, I had no idea if people called themselves cookie dough shippers. That's adorable, first of all. Like, it is I really love cute. you all. Like, that's really, really cute. <laughs> but here's the, but I feel like this analogy exists so that we can make the joke about eating. Like, yes. Come on, please. If I want somebody to eat me, yes. And mm -hmm. eating raw cookie dough is a time honored tradition. In fact, <laughs> I personally would much rather eat cookie dough than cookies. Like, if we're being perfectly yeah. honest, um, you know, preferably, like, mixed into ice cream or something. But, like, come yeah. on. Come on. No, you're never – the idea, the idea that someday you are 
done and you've arrived mm-hmm. is uh, problematic. I understand that. Right. I understand that in that she isn't ready to be in a relationship yet and that someday she will be ready. Right. But the idea that that readiness is contingent upon being done baking, which you never are. Yeah. Um, then that just to me, it does feel like something we put in so that we could get it when I want somebody to eat me, yeah. which all right, you know, Come on. fine, I guess. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. One girl in all, all right. the world, but we're adults here. Like, let's, exactly. let's be real. Let's be real. Exactly. I mean, okay. In the same show in which Buffy and Spike fucked a house down well, and also we somehow, have to interrupt the eat me line right and somehow like end up under several rugs and also <laughs> do things that spike apparently can't spell and maybe spike is just not mm-hmm. that great at spelling but like we make this yes. like like there's <laughs> and then we clutch our pearls that eat me yeah like, i don't understand there's like weird <laughs> The 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 mm-hmm. sexual humor on the show is very odd at times. It is where we mm-hmm. we just like pendulum swing wildly from, you know, I don't know. We're so what? Oh, <laughs> I, I know, what we we can't discuss this. But then, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, 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 whatever. No, you're never. I mean, you're never done. You're never done. You're never done. And yeah. I do respect Buffy saying. I'm not ready to be in a relationship. I don't want to think about this right now. I mean, I think exactly. that's that's that great. I completely respect. That is absolutely right. It's just the idea that it's contingent upon her being done rather than contingent upon her being ready. But, you know, we've all had analogies and metaphors go south on us at times. I don't um, know I will say what you're talking about. <laughs> that is frequently a thing that happens to me because I will extemporaneously pull out a metaphor and be like, you know, it's kind of like this. And then as I follow the metaphor down the trail, I'm like, no, it's not like that at all. Um, and so that does definitely happen. Um, but OK, so now you saw a little bit of a, a protagonist problem in well, this episode. I don't even know if I want to call it a problem so much, but it is mm-hmm. something that it's something about this episode that I find really compelling from a a story standpoint Mm -hmm. i mean it feels very strange to me that at the end everything hinges on willow Mm -hmm. everything hinges on willow being able to pull this spell up and don't get me wrong i don't hate it Mm -hmm. and i think the 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 thing that is supposed to make it feel like a big win for buffy is that it's her idea Mm-hmm. But emotionally, from a television making standpoint, from a television watching standpoint, that's mm-hmm. not what we get to see. And I think that's because there's not much to see if the story is Buffy grappling mentally and emotionally with going from being the slayer to being a slayer. I mean, mm-hmm. hashtag visual storytelling problems, right? Like <laughs> right. if we were in a novel. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think that that like the 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 sort of heroic impact of that would be felt, yeah, you know, more more intensely. What we do get is a lot of focus on Willow in these time sensitive final fight moments that usually belong to a protagonist, especially in something right. as like action adventure as Buffy is as a mm-hmm. show, which is something that. I think the show sometimes forgets about itself. And one thing that I love about this episode is that we are in this like 
action adventure space by mm-hmm. the end. Um, but even in the the night before conversation and reflection that Willow has with Kennedy, that all feels very protagonisty to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if yeah. Willow hadn't succeeded at this, evil would have won. Mm-hmm. So there's some slidey heroics going on here, right? Buffy decides <laughs> that she wants to share the Slayer power. She turns her, I don't want to be the one, from despair to triumph. And that's great. Like, that's rad. But she mm-hmm. kind of volunteers Willow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the the my power should be our power leadership is something that we need more of, I think, both in storytelling mm-hmm. and in life. But what hits emotionally, I mean, for me at least as a viewer, is Willow's obvious discomfort in the moment when Buffy tells the group that Willow has more power than all the shadow men combined. And then mm-hmm. we focus so intensely on Willow and her sort of processing, this is what I have to do. What mm-hmm. if I can't do it? What if it goes wrong? Kennedy, you're going to have to stab me, you know, on and on and on. That feels that feels like protagonist stuff to me. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Willow gets this beautiful protagonisty moment where instead of turning into dark evil Willow, she becomes a beacon of light and hope. And that is peak protagonist, just visually, yeah. but also mm-hmm. thematically, right? The thing you thought was going to destroy you and maybe the world turns out to be this great source of goodness and power for positive change. I mean, that's some heroine's journey foundational framework stuff right there so what are we doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer starring Willow the Witch what's going on (laughs) it's it's been like this kind of for a while like I think starting in season six um you know we would come in to do our notes and we would end up talking about every character except for Buffy yeah um everybody had stuff going on and Buffy's stuff was there we did see a lot of that but she was also just kind of absent in a lot of it um I think part of that comes from it is it is difficult when you have a protagonist who doesn't really want to be there like there's this you know thing at the end that you you need to make a choice Buffy Mm -hmm. gives her choice speech you know and this is where you make a choice and the active choice of course is the um the great hallmark of a good protagonist that we've got somebody who's actively choosing their fate Buffy never chose any of this she works with it because she doesn't have a choice you know um and she does her thing but there's something about that lack of choice with Buffy that makes her a difficult protagonist. And Willow went running at magic and then went running away from Mm -hmm. magic and has actively chosen all of the things, even in her avoidance, she's making a choice. And then in her avoidance and when she goes back into it, she's making a choice, you know? And so to see Willow so completely transformed by this experience, it does feel very protagonist-y. Um, but, but Buffy, it is Buffy's story that lands because she is finally, again, not the Slayer, but a Slayer. She's not one girl in all the world, you know, Um, she has fundamentally changed at the end. And so we do get her transformation, too, but we just don't get to spend the kind of of time with it and experiencing that victory the way that we do with Willow. We get a second at the end and Buffy smiles and you're like, okay, here we are, you know, Um, 
But yeah, it's it's definitely there's a lot of group protagonist stuff that goes on, especially with these long form stories where you get everybody's a protagonist in in a way, um, you know. But Buffy's our eponymous main protagonist, and so this um, the way that Willow's arc here lands with uh, is so much more like personal consequence mm-hmm. for Willow, you know. Um, I think does have that that smell of protagonism on it, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting when you think about, you know, when a story's over, how has mm-hmm. the world changed? Well, yeah. Willow literally changed the world. I mean, she changed the rules with her yeah. magic. I mean, it's... that's And she's powerful. Like, she is more powerful than all of those men combined, you know? And this idea, you know, what do you do when you have that kind of power, like that's, you know, kind of terrifying and a really interesting place. This feels to me like the beginning of a Willow story, you know, it's maybe the end of the Buffy story, but it's the beginning of the Willow story. And all of you out there who've read the comics, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying within this, within this televisual uh, Buffy verse, that's where we are. Right. Um, so, yeah, I love Buffy's idea. Um, I love her fight. I love that she tells Spike that she loves him. I love that there are a thousand slayers in the world now. At the end, I love her smile. She is no longer go- alone. She is no longer one girl in all the world. Her life can start. It's kind of awesome. Um, and so, like, this for me, I I love where we land here with Buffy. I love that the thing that seems to give her the idea for the idea Mm -hmm. is the first appearing to her as her and hitting the word alone. Yeah. And I wonder if the first hadn't hit that word so hard in its, you know, mustache twirling speech, Mm -hmm. if Buffy would have clicked into this idea um, the way she does. I I just love the, I love the setup of that, that, and of course, evil's undoing would be its own idea, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but what I love, what I love most about Buffy's ending, is a line. It, it's summed up in a line that Faith has that we kind of just leave. Um, mm-hmm. But they're all sort of wondering what what they do now, and Faith says, "Just gotta live like a person." Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's the real like that's Mm -hmm. not only not only is that the the real challenge, but that's also Buffy's joy. Right. Like, that's part Mm -hmm. of where that smile at the end comes from is you just you you have to figure out how to be a person. All she ever wanted to be was a Mm -hmm. normal girl. And now here she is, like, on the edge of. You know, sort of straddling that edge between being mm-hmm. the Slayer yeah. and then mm-hmm. the rest of her life, you know, being a a person. What does that yeah. mean? Um, yeah. And then you have to figure that out. It's the start of a whole other story world. There's so much stuff that can be done here, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's it's pretty cool. Um, I also love Faith. Oh, you my know? God. Um, Faith she is, is so great. Such, oh, <laughs> she's such a fantastic second-in-command with Buffy. Um, and I love this whole thing with Robin. Um, it is so cute. He gets her, uh, you know, uh, sexual confidence. He hits her in her sexual confidence. And she's like, you're tripping. We're going again, you know. Um, and when he says he's prettier than she is, and you see the shocked expression as she clutches imaginary pearls um this is a moment from eliza dishku that i just absolutely love i think it's so brilliantly played and if it was played a little bit too much it would come off as sarcastic but i believe that 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 pearl clutch is genuine she's like what are you even talking about oh 100 yes it yeah. was rock'em sock'em yeah <laughs> oh my god um yeah, the the surprise at the end where Robin doesn't die is to me both annoying and cute. Like it's annoying because it's so heavily constructed in a moment um, that's a little too big for something cute. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it's cute and it's sweet, and I like it even if it's you know misplaced. I mean, I I love I love Faith so much, and Faith mm-hmm. and Robin together I think is one of my yeah. favorite things that this show does. When they're just lifting things together and having this conversation, hauling boxes around, you know, blocking up entrances, it just it makes me so happy. And his saying, oh, please, I am so much prettier than you are, is I think one of my favorite moments of the show, hands down. It's It's so cute. So good. It's so Mm -hmm. good. Um, His speech about there being pretty decent guys out there really sounds like it was... I don't know, written by a man who fancies himself a pretty decent guy. And I don't appreciate him mansplaining Faith's experience to her. But I really, really like them together because they strike Mm -hmm. me as a couple with the potential to leave each other better than they found each other. I absolutely agree a thousand percent about all of everything that you said, especially the pretty decent guy thing. Um, But yeah, it's it's so good. It's so cute. And and, you know, and again, show me a couple that works well together and I'm going to show you a good romance like these people. They're there. They're working together. They're in sync. They're, you know, pushing all this stuff around. It's really nice. Um, And I love I love watching them. Um, Another couple that I actually really enjoyed is Willow and Kennedy. Oh, I know. Finally. Finally. Mm -hmm. Finally. Finally. Kennedy and Willow are really interesting together in this episode. Um, Mm -hmm. They finally sort of seem like a couple. Although they needed to have the you'll have to kill me conversation for real. Yeah. It comes out as this little flippant remark. But mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen that really fleshed out. Um, oh, I mean, my God. Can you imagine, though, like what it takes for somebody to love you enough to kill you if you ask them? Well, yeah. And like, I mean, and that talk about like getting us into real relationship territory with these two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, Kennedy might blow the idea off at first, which, you know, she does. And she says, mm-hmm. you know, Buffy believes in Willow. And I and we could yeah. keep that line from Willow. You know, Buffy, sweet girl, not that bright. Like, we could keep <laughs> that. That would be fine. But yeah. I feel like we need Willow reinforcing for Kennedy and the audience that if this is going to work at all, Willow needs to be able to trust Kennedy to make the decision to kill her if it comes to that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And then we're in that magical, actiony, romantic, do you trust me territory, right? Which seems totally yeah. genre appropriate and also mm-hmm. kind of seeds more of a romance, perhaps, mm-hmm. for these two. Yes. And the like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to do this thing, but I need you to do this other whole, you know, I need you to make this hard mm-hmm. decision. If I'm going to make this hard yeah. decision, let's make hard decisions together. Like that's, <laughs> right. you know, that is also a great way to, to build a romance. That's Absolutely. great. And mm-hmm. I like Kennedy getting to have a little moment, a little positive moment. The mm-hmm. you're my way speech is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I might have preferred the push pull of we're going to make it through this and if it goes sideways, I trust you to do, you know, I trust you to make the call and yeah. kill me if you have to. Like, that would feel a little bit, mm, I don't know, not just, I think that builds the tension, but it also feels more like now we're in real relationship space with these two. Mm-hmm. I think what's unsatisfying about this scene is that we see Kennedy going into this avoidant positivity thing. It's going to be okay. Buffy believes in you. You're my way Mm -hmm. without acknowledging like how important the thing that will that Willow just asked her is, you Mm -hmm. know, to both of them together. Um, And that could have been a moment that would really solidify this. And if in I mean, in the principal's office, Kennedy's just standing there, she's not shouldn't have a weapon. And Willow has the scythe. Now, Mm -hmm. if Willow goes dark, Kennedy is sliced in half. That's it for Kennedy. If we had had that scene, where Kennedy had a crossbow trained on Willow. Oh God! In that moment, yeah. And then to and then when Willow's okay to put it down, tears in her eyes. But there, but like knowing that she would do that for Willow, that is fucking ride or die. That is ride and die. Ride that and is die. Serious, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is really, really serious. Um, that said, I do like I like her self awareness. With you know, I'm kind of a brat. Um, I like her, um, you know, I always get my way and you're my way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like all of those things. But of course, for me, uh, for Kennedy as a character, as soon as she says, I always get my way, that's when I want her to not get her way. Um, because mm. that's where we see what people are really made of is, you know, uh, fictional characters. But Yeah, I just I think it was really, really great. Um, and, you know, moving into something that breaks my heart. But I also feel like, okay, fair enough, is um, Anya's death. Um, I hate it. I love her. She's one of my favorite characters in this whole show. And um, it's really, really hard to see her get killed, especially when I was totally expecting it to be Andrew. Um, But she's lived for thousands of years and she's killed like a lot of people. So dying while saving the world seems like a really good, positive, meaningful ending for Anya. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Anya. Oh, my God. I love her little moment. Oh, God, I'm terrified. I didn't think. I mean, I just figured you'd be terrified and I would be sarcastic about it. (laughs) That moment of self-awareness and vulnerability is so, so painful. It it gets Mm -hmm. me. Um, Especially knowing that that line is worse, like knowing that she's going to die. Um, yeah, I hate that Anya dies. It makes complete and total mm-hmm. sense, especially after her speech about people and their inevitable surprise yeah. when death comes for them. 
Mm-hmm. And as shitty as this is, it fits thematically with the core for all having a partner or former partner die. Xander loses Anya, Willow loses Tara, Giles loses Jenny, and Buffy loses Spike. And Angel, but mostly Spike. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I get it. I get mm-hmm. it, but I hate it. And I also wish the show hadn't been so absolutely horrible to Anya, only to kill her off. Like, that feels... Yeah. Uh, ugh. It was a waste. She was a comedy mule for, like, three seasons. And then they finally gave her some stuff to do, starting with Hell's Bells in season six. And she's been brilliant, you know. Um, but Emma Caulfield is an absolute gem. And anybody who fails to know what they have in her and use her as just a comedy mule for three seasons, you know, has made a mistake, has gone in the wrong direction because she is fucking amazing. Um and another, you know, beloved character that we lose, you know, kind of, if you haven't watched Angel in this in this uh, episode, is Spike. And I love that Spike, after everything he's been through, I know that I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. After everything that he's been through, he gets a hero's ending. He is finally able to feel his soul, and he knows that he is whole, and he saves the town. I love it. The the moment where he feels his soul is the moment that gets me emotionally yeah. in this mm-hmm. because he is surprised also. Like he, yeah. it, it's fascinating because he, you know, he goes, we talked about this. We've talked about this a ton. He goes mm-hmm. out to get his soul and he yeah. suffers for it. And he, you know, he makes that decision. But what I love is in this, in this final moment for Spike, when he feels his soul, you you sort of dial it back and you go, oh, wait, there was some doubt for him all along mm-hmm. as to whether this was real. Like he yeah. he knows that it's there. But in this moment, it's solidified for him and it's meaningful for him. And he's yeah. almost it. There, there's a surprise and delight and relief that like the thing yeah. that he worked so hard for is really there. It mm-hmm. I love it. It's so it's so vulnerable yeah. and so courageous at the same time and it's just it's kind of the best possible ending for Spike. I mean, I know it's not really an ending for Spike, but uh, yeah, it should it's, be. It's an, <laughs> it should be. It should have been. I mean, I, I I do love Spike in season five of Angel. Um, his return, his arc in that show is incredible. And it gave us the episode Damages, uh, which is such an appropriate epilogue to season seven of Buffy. If any of you out there have not watched Angel, first of all, you should do it. Do it with Still Dead will tell you which episodes you don't need to watch because it's it's not they're not all bangers um but there is an episode in season five of angel called damages and if you only watch one if you love buffy and you only watch one episode of angel that should be it um so i i love this ending i love that he gets a hero's ending i love that he is able again like anya somebody who has killed a lot of people gets to end saving people i feel like that is meaningful and appropriate um the thing i didn't care for 
four is I just wish he didn't say no, you don't to Buffy when she said she loved him. First of all, Buffy gets to decide if she loves you or not. You don't get to decide that. Um, And she does love him. Whether or not she loves him romantically, sure, you can debate that as long as you want. But she loves him. She has fought with him. He has been her friend. He has been her lover. Um, And he is the one who was at her side, on her side, always. And I just wish that he would have allowed her to tell him that. Yeah. You know, I don't want an I love you too. No. I just, silence and a nod would have been great. Yeah. I mean, I love you. No, you don't. But thanks for saying it. That sucks. That moment sucks. Yeah. It sucks so hard. Mm-hmm. Isn't their relationship supposedly based on not lying to each other? Exactly. I mean, just edit out the no, you don't and keep mm-hmm. thanks for saying it. And you win my whole heart with that moment. Exactly. Because that's exactly. all that Spike ever really wanted, right, was for Buffy to say it to confirm mm-hmm. what they both seem to know with this magic heterosexual knowing that underlies all the <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if you'd gone up those stairs in directness. Like, seriously, what the fuck is up with that scene? But. Yeah, I get that scene, too. Maybe it is a straight thing. I don't know. I hate that scene. <laughs> I hate it so much because I'll tell you what. If you tell me to go uh-huh. up those stairs, if if I'm like, can I stay here? And you say no. I'm like, cool, I'll go upstairs and go somewhere else. Like, I don't assume yeah. that this is the what yes. are we doing, man? It's terrible. Okay. It's terrible. I hate no, it. The, but yes, but, the playing around is bullshit. And that that. Just that's they just do it so that they can have that, you know, that was a smoke screen, whatever. And so they could have that funny little moment. Um, but yeah, like I understand everything that they're saying in that scene. Um, and yeah, that it makes me make sense to me. That makes me absolutely crazy. Yeah. It is the opposite of romantic. It is the opposite of hot. Say what you mean. Yes. Say what you mean. Say which is what why, you mean. Yes. Which is why leaving. Thanks for saying it. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? That would destroy me. Mm-hmm. That would destroy me. Because yes. that is all That is all he ever needs is the confirmation yeah. of, I think this is going on. I feel a thing. Right? I think maybe you feel a thing. You're giving me. I mean, that's his whole thing all along is you're giving me all of these signs that you mm-hmm. feel something for me. But we're not talking about it or we're not doing anything about it. So to have that Mm -hmm. last moment of them together be them holding hands Mm -hmm. on fire, P.S., like, hello. And then, oh, my God, it would have been so great. It would have been so great because that's all he needed to just seal the deal was just that confirmation Mm -hmm. that, yeah, okay, the thing that I felt in this relationship with this person, mm-hmm. regardless of how you know messy or complicated or whatever it was, was a real thing and a real shared mm-hmm. thing. I'm mean, come on, come on, so I know. good, so close, so, so close, close, almost perfect, so close. and then Just and then they whiffed it. Don't do the no, you don't. Come on, come exactly. on, exactly. Exactly. Come I just on. actually now that you've said that, I think I'm just going to go and like, you know, get my my version and just edit that just part out because it, it would be out. so much better. Yeah, so much better. And now that I'm no longer going to be talking about Buffy critically, I can do that. I can make it. I can make an edit that is just forget the director's edit. We'll give you the still pretty edit. Give you the um, story expert edit of Buffy. Like that would be story <laughs> expert edit of Buffy. That would be hilarious. But like um, speaking yeah. of story stuff, though, like one of the best things about Spike 
Spike's arc is that Spike effectively blows up the town and then the Sunnydale <laughs> sign falls into the hole, which is just the best punctuation for the mm-hmm. character who entered the show by literally crashing into the Welcome to Sunnydale sign. Like, it's it, yeah. it's brilliant. It's I love iconic. that. It's absolutely love that coda iconic. For Spike. I think it's... <laughs> fabulous it's so so good um i also have a lot of love for dawn in this episode um when buffy comes in and she just kicks her like this little quick kick it's so incredibly cute and then buffy goes ow you know buffy who gets punched in the face regularly by demons gets a a little kick in the shin from a you know 16 year old girl it's like ow you know it's so cute and the thing is is that like here we are at the end dawn is all grown up. She is Watcher Junior. She has work to do, but she loves that work. And you know how much I love a love story with someone and their work. Um, but the stab to the heart, I mean, it's good, but it's a complete stab to the heart. Anything you say now is going to sound like goodbye. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's right on. She's right on. The moment mm-hmm. when I don't remember whether it's Angel or Spike, who's talking about the medallion and how the translation is kind of wonky, yes. and we're just not sure. And I'm mm-hmm. like, give it to Dawn, she'll figure it out. Give it <laughs> like, to Dawn, exactly. She'll give us a translation. <laughs> but, the, but that fucking shin kick, man. Ow, oh my god, dumbass. If you get killed, I'm telling. Like, it's just shut's <laughs> kids good. It's so it's incredibly sweet. I absolutely love it. Also, it's really nice to have Giles back for an episode. Yeah. He just came back. He just is Giles again. When he tells Buffy that her idea is bloody brilliant, I feel like we get him back. And I'm like, oh, Giles, welcome home. Yeah, Have welcome a cup of tea. Back, Giles. Yeah. Exactly. I love Giles and Xander and Amanda playing tabletop role playing games with Andrew. <laughs> and Andrew in his little red riding his hood. cloak. Yeah, his cloak. little dungeon it's master so cute. cloak. I know. But just the <laughs> implication Right. Of that mm-hmm. little scene. You know, Giles agreed to this the night before this huge battle. It's kind of adorable. Yeah. And it gives me all the positive work dad vibes that I want from Giles. Exactly. It's like, well it's so done. Nice. <laughs> well so done. Nice. And I don't usually love a fake out like that where it mm-hmm. looks at first like they're talking about tactics yeah. for the battle yeah. and then it's this game. But here it works. It works so yeah, well. I love it. I love work. I it love does. work, Dad Giles. <laughs> He's so sweet. Andrew is also just oh, adorable. God, I love Andrew, him. Andrew, Andrew's little speech gets me. Mm-hmm. It's so goofy, but I love it. I just want to say how proud I am to die for this very special cause with you guys. There's mm-hmm. some, um, there's some people I'd like to thank, both good and evil. Like it, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> And then, of course, Anya yanks him away. (laughs) Anya plays him off. But he's so dear and he's so ready to die. And then he's shocked when he doesn't. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I wish Xander weren't so shitty to him in the end. Because Andrew tells Xander exactly what Xander needs to hear about Anya, that she was brave and strong and did the right thing. And then Andrew says Anya saved his life and Xander dismisses that as stupid, which is awful for both Anya and Andrew. It's his last slap at Anya. And I'm like, could you not just say, you know, she was my girl or something? (laughs) That's my girl. Can you just edit that part out? I mean, oh, my God. It's I 
I love Andrew. I love his whole thing. I love him there with with Anya. Um, and that he survives. It's so, you know, when I first watched it, I was like, oh my God, kill Andrew, keep Anya. But now that I look at it, I'm like, Andrew still has stuff to do. Like Anya has been around for 1200 years. She's done what she's going to do. And she's killed a lot of people. I mean, Andrew has, you know, killed a few too, but, um, but the Andrew's redemption is something that he can still seek yeah. and he can still work toward. And there's more to be done with that character. Whereas Anya, I think it's an appropriate ending as much as I do. I super hate it. Yeah. I super hate it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think that it's good and it's a meaningful ending for her and stories are nothing if not meaning making machines. So you got to give that one a pass. Yeah. Yeah. It is more meaningful for both Anya and Andrew, narratively, yeah. thematically, if Andrew lives yeah. and Anya doesn't, but it, oh, it's rough. Oh, but it hurts. It's rough. It hurts. It's it hurts rough. a lot. But I do love Andrew's surprise at surviving mm-hmm. and yeah. almost grief at first at surviving, mm-hmm. but it that does speak to he's, I mean, to borrow Buffy's metaphor, like he's not done yet. He's got yeah. more redemption to do. Mm-hmm. This is this Absolutely. is the be- this fight for on the side of good is the beginning for Andrew. Mm-hmm. It's not the mm-hmm. end for Andrew. And I really I I really like that. I just fucking Xander, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Xander, we can always trust it you. It wouldn't to be screw still pretty if I wasn't like, God damn it, Xander. <laughs> God damn it, Xander. We've got to get one last God damn it, Xander in there. Exactly. Um, all right. So we have a section of our script that is all questions. Yeah. And you have a whole bunch here. Let's, let's oh my God. chew on these. Okay. So this episode raises a bunch of questions for me. Mm-hmm. And one of them is who gets to be a girl? And over Ooh. and over and over again, Buffy and the show talk about the potentials and the Slayers as girls, mm-hmm. which raises this question that I cannot believe I didn't ask before right this minute. Who gets to be a girl? Mm-hmm. And I don't even mean that in a trans-inclusive way. I just mean childhood is kind of made up. <laughs> so, like, what happens to the potential Slayers who weren't called went on to live their lives and are now middle-aged or elderly, does potential mm-hmm. just dry up with menopause? What's going on? And Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. And also, okay, like, I do mean it in a trans-inclusive way as well, but mm-hmm. the show is definitely not interested in that because when this show is trans-inclusive, uh, which is <laughs> once in a blue never, <laughs> it is very much by accident. But... Yeah. Seriously, seriously, what is going on with like the girl thing, especially by the end when Buffy, I think, is like a whole grown ass woman, mm-hmm. I would say, like for mm-hmm. my money. Yeah. What? Who counts? What's going on? How do we make this determination? How do the mystical forces make this determination? Childhood mm-hmm. is imaginary. <laughs> like gender, <laughs> childhood is a construct. Go. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. And the idea that there are no, you know, trans girls um, as slayers, I think that that could have been a really interesting, you know, um, kind of a topic to breach. Uh, but yeah, this show was never going to. 
never going to touch on that. Topic. But also like never going to touch on. I mean, I talked about this throughout Still Pretty mm-hmm. is like, hello, where are our middle aged women? Yeah. Where are yeah. elderly women? Like they just cease to exist. They don't exist unless they're monsters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty much if we have an elderly woman there, she's bad, except this last one where she was a guardian. Yeah. But then immediately. Murdered, but then she has to die. Right? Yeah. She has, of course she has to die. She's a woman. She what, are you, what are you talking about? You show She's up. a woman who has had the temerity to outlive her youth. Fuck her. There right? you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's really, it's, it is very interesting, the show, like, showing how not subversive it is. For a no, show truly, that, like, how truly not feminist. A show well, like that, a show that, that it's feminist. It tends to cred, subvert yeah. anything. And, like, yeah, it does. Sure, it does. Mm-hmm. It does. And yeah. but ultimately not really because mm-hmm. you're you're a girl until you're too old to be a girl and then you just are a monster and then or you, you die. disappear. You're a monster or you die or I mean we had Joyce, you know, but Joyce of course was very young looking. That woman knows how to moisturize. Yeah. Like she was very young and youthful and beautiful, but then she had to die because I think she ticked 45. Well, and especially since she dies like on the heels of a date. Like yeah. we talked about that a little bit with the body. Mm-hmm. That Joyce yeah. has this like fun night out and like Buffy Buffy comes home to flowers from yeah. this date that are turns out are memorial flowers like I know. hello like we're so weird we're so weird about adult women <laughs> on this show so for a we show, are I don't know it's weird. just it's always fascinating to me when the hidden curriculum becomes no longer hidden when yeah. it's just the 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 hidden rules are just the rules now like we're just showing I don't know. We're ju- we're just showing what was there all along with this mm-hmm. like this construction for the show of what it means to be a girl. I don't yeah. know. And again, like I don't even mean that in a trans inclusive way. I just mean that from like a human growth and development standpoint. Like where's the right. cutoff? Where is the like, line? Regardless of what you are assigned at birth, like where's the cutoff? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, what which is that definition? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Right. That takes us down this like like gender studies, you know, into this like gender studies corner of, well, Mm -hmm. girl is a gender Mm -hmm. like girl is a gender separate from woman. And what does that mean? And now, you know, Mm -hmm. now like we're off to the races. At what point do you become one or the other? And where is the line there? Right. There's a lot of things. And there's also like, you know, also a trans inclusive question to be asked there. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, Not saying we shouldn't ask that question. Just if like if you're going for like positive trans representation on Buffy the Vampire Slayer like ooh good luck I mean if you have some like I would love it I would love yeah. it if that's mm-hmm. there and I'm just not seeing it but oh I don't I, I don't, think, I it's don't there. think so uh the other thing we could define as well is is choose yeah Who gets to choose yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay 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 the episode is called chosen right mm-hmm. I love the idea of activating all the slayers From a leadership perspective, brilliant, right? Power Mm -hmm. should be shared, freely given. We're stronger together. On and on and on. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yes. Nods all around. (laughs) Activating all of those potential slayers in the fight is absolutely 100% the right move. Mm -hmm. The potential slayers in the fight 
know what's coming. Mm-hmm. But everyone else just gets whammied with Slayer power out of the blue with no right? context <laughs> or explanation. I mean, I am. I also like that she does that whole speech. You get to make a choice. Are you yeah. ready to be strong? It's like, that's great. It's like, hell this yeah, kid yeah, in Tokyo, yeah. This kid in Tokyo didn't have any idea what the fuck's happening. Exactly. You know? Like, Buffy mm-hmm. and the potentials choosing to be strong together is badass. Yeah. But the sequence of the girls we've never seen or met before suddenly having superpowers makes me deeply uncomfortable. And while chatting about this episode with friend of the pod, special guest next week, Dr. Kelly Jones, (laughs) uh, a few nights ago, I figured out why. That Mm -hmm. is literally my nightmare. Wow. Literally my nightmare. I've literally had the, the nightmare that is phenomenal cosmic power in my itty bitty living space <laughs> with no idea what's going on. Fuck you very much. Yeah. Mm. No, thank you. Something huge and life changing happening to my body out of nowhere without my knowledge or consent sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And I see that sequence and just think about how confused those girls must be. I mean, yeah, yeah. make everybody in the fight a slayer. Absolutely. I love it. But what? Like all around the world. And that is, you know, that is bodily. That is bodily. You know, it's a consent violation. And um, and yeah, like when we get that moment where she's like, here's where you make a choice. Like also, that's a room full of people. And nobody was like, no, I'll pass. You know, um, was like, I don't want to be actually the prophetic dreams and the intense menstrual cramps sound terrible. No, thank you. Sound <laughs> really terrible. So, yeah, like I think that um, while that that comes from a, a perspective that is really, really like power central, that is like power is always a good thing. Power is always desired. Mm-hmm. That comes from the same perspective that didn't question what it means to be a girl did not question what it means to have power and whether or not somebody actually wants that. The idea was that all of these kids that we're seeing throughout the world being suddenly activated, that they want that power. Of course they do. We don't question that, right? But maybe they don't. That creeps my shit out. Like <laughs> I can completely like, understand like that. Like the 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 imagined experience of that, but also the idea that mm-hmm. well, yeah, like of course you want superpowers. Like of course you do. Yeah. No, I do not. Not everybody. No. Yeah. No. Not even a little bit. Certainly not when I'm like in the middle of dinner. <laughs> like <laughs> I am trying to have dinner yeah. right now, and you're just gonna whammy exactly. me with. No, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. But I didn't understand until I was talking with Kelly about I'm Mm -hmm. like, why do I why do I not like this? Because everything Mm -hmm. in the everything in the visual storytelling, everything in the soundtrack is like, this is empowering. This is so Mm -hmm. cool. All the girls in all the world who could be. And I'm like, I don't know why I don't like it, but I am uncomfortable. And now I know why. So, you know. Talk about talk about stories with smart people. <laughs> In conclusion, <laughs> talk about talking about stories Absolutely. with smart people. My podcast from Chipperish Media. It um, is the best. It is yeah, the best. Yeah, but what I do love about this, something I do love mm-hmm. about this this 
everybody is a slayer now, congratulations, Mm -hmm. is this idea of holding the line and the way we Mm -hmm. change the meaning of that, right? Buffy gets stabbed through the stomach, falls to the ground. Faith comes over to her. Buffy just says, hold the line and passes her the scythe, which Mm -hmm. is a great choice. Very on theme. I love this. We've been talking about the Slayer line for a while. And now Mm -hmm. the Slayer line as in lineage is a line as in battle. I love that read. And we're literally going to pass on the scythe from Buffy to Faith, which Mm -hmm. is especially nice considering that Faith's original assessment of this weapon was it feels like it's mine which means it's yours meaning buffy's Mm -hmm. so to have it belong to everyone and then be passed around among the group in battle Mm -hmm. like really excellent excellent visual storytelling Mm -hmm. excellent you know a very on theme like do the thing score the points like very much (laughs) very very positive on that aspect of you know make everybody a slayer and change Mm -hmm. what it means to be part of the slayer line it's no longer a lineage it's now a like literal bodies standing shoulder to shoulder which is great it's great It is. It's really good, which makes me wonder, out of all of these wonderful things, what was your favorite? What's your favorite part? Okay. This is like, this is very much in the specifically to delight me space. Mm -hmm. The sequence immediately following Buffy's maybe silly get out of my face line, where Mm -hmm. we cut from the Turrican being knocked back into the Hellmouth to Faith's kip up from the ground to the freshly empowered Slayers fighting. And the score is a whole ass orchestra. Goddamn right. I mean, <laughs> I love the fight sequences with everyone, mostly because it's mm-hmm. such a joy to see that many actual people on screen doing fight right. choreography. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Hellmouth of Uber Vamps is CGI, of course, but the right. fight sequences look like there are actually 10 or 12 actors and stunt performers on the set at the yeah. same time and that delights me that is my whole heart that is noelle catnip yeah. but that fucking music dude have we ever <laughs> had what sounds like a full orchestra for the score before if i we have, don't think so i, I mean i haven't we have little songs it. like close your eyes you know little themes that play for yeah. t- different things but i don't think we've had this but this full yeah. ass orchestra if it's been yeah. there before I have not noticed it. And maybe it's just that it's doing this action adventure music. But holy shit, it gets me. It gets me. It's incredibly powerful. The beautiful symbolism of a whole orchestra with a whole hellmouth full Mm -hmm. of slayers. Just so good. So good. It is goosebump material. No, no. Absolutely. (laughs) No. No, no. What about you, Lonnie, for the last time? What's your favorite part? Oh, my God. For the last time. Okay. Um, I, I, Buffy's smile at the end, right? That moment where we feel the landing of the arc from one girl in all the world at the beginning to here is amazing. Um, but also, like, there's Willows that was nifty. After she's all, like, she collapses. It's so great. How did we not talk about that moment? 
that amazing? Did we miss? Like, did we miss Willow's? That was nifty. I thought you touched on it. No, I mean I touched on her like beautiful protagonist lighting and how she goes from like she's all, you know, the the spiritual sister mm-hmm. of the guardian who handed the side to Buffy. But no, like just to just to topple over with that was nifty. <laughs> with so- that joy on her face, like there 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 is a moment of joy. And I think self-actualization in that for Willow. That's so beautiful. Because magic is fun again. Magic was not fun for a long time. And now it's fun again. And she gets it back. I know. Oh, my God. And then, you know, there's the choices speech from Buffy. You know, with all of the complicated who gets to choose, you know, set aside the ending. Are you ready to be strong? Fuck yeah. Sign me up. (laughs) Right? She's a good, she's a good speech. She's, you know, she, she figured out her St. Crispin's Day speech and made it happen. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Chipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag still pretty. Or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and hosts. We have a new podcast from Chipperish Media. It's called Endless, and it covers the Sandman comics and TV show hosted by Lonnie and DC Comics editor Elisa Quitney. Search for Chipperish Endless in your podcast app of choice. Also, Patreon supporters who chip in at $10 and up get to attend show recordings live with chats before and after the show. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now's the time. Definitely is. But next week for the Still Pretty finale in which Noelle and Dr. Kelly Jones and I are all going to sit down and just talk about this whole experience of doing both Angel and Buffy uh, for Chipperish. We are going to open up the live recording to everyone who supports Chipperish on Patreon. One dollar level and up. We record at 1130 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, September 18th. So you've got a couple of days to sign up if you want to come and hang out with me and Noelle and still dead co-host dr kelly jones um this episode of still pretty was brought to you of course by the chipperish media producers who support us on patreon at the power producer level these people are the reason why still pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now so thank you to abby alice christina erica jonathan kevin Kristen, michael rose sarah shelley stephania and stephanie and this week's special message for our power producers anything you say is going to sound like goodbye This episode of Still Pretty was edited by Chipperish content editor Jack Cram. Jack, I just realized something. Something that really never occurred to me before. We're going to win. Even if you can't attend next week's finale episode live, you can still be part of the show. Send us an audio clip telling us about your favorite part of Still Pretty and we'll play it on the show. You can record on a phone, a computer, school computer between classes if that won't get you in trouble with a librarian they don't need to be professional just tell us your name maybe where you're listening from if sharing that feels good to you and send them to info at chipperish.com thank you all so much for being part of this community until then that was nifty nifty